Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Welcome back to Podside, everyone. This is, of course, Carlo. And today we have a special treat for all of you. Uh, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm joined by one of the regular co-hosts. Uh, hello, Chris. Hey, am I the treat? Uh, well, you know, you could be. <laughs> maybe maybe you're the snack. I don't know. Oh, yeah. hey uh, <laughs> and, and with us today, straight from the World Warriors, we have none other than Zangiev, who is going to crush... Uh, the description of the Shirley Jackson Awards for 2021. Mm. Uh, none other than Sean. Hey, Sean, how you doing? Hey, Carlo, I'm doing good. Ready to crush, ready to destroy, ready to win <laughs> things for Gorbachev. You, you will, <laughs> you will crush these, I'm sure. All right, so we're going to discuss. Um, if I'm not mistaken, these are the 2020, unless I fucked it up already, the 2021 uh, Shirley Jackson Awards because they sort of run very late, uh, if I remember correctly, right? I think they, I think they, I think they decided at like the end of October, maybe, or maybe in November, early November, something like that. Well, they, they let the, I believe that they let the entire, um, year that they're the, 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 the eligibility year, uh, run its course. And I don't know exactly what the, uh, the date is for, um, editors and, and publishers to put in their nominations, but it's probably at the beginning of the following year. So that's why we're getting like the 2021 awards in 2022. Um, hmm. so, uh, in any case, uh, and then you you did want to talk a little bit just to give a framework here. Uh, you, you wanted to talk about the Shirley Jackson Awards, uh, specifically the short fiction and novelette categories, and then uh, maybe a little later you want to talk about the Stokers, or, or do you want to talk about the Stokers up front? Let me let me um, talk about the Stokers up front and in the context of like I. So I talked to Chris about this briefly, and I kind of proposed um, an episode without proposing an episode, but basically I've been a big horror fan for most of my life. And I wanted to see what was like, what is happening with the genre? What is the state of the genre now? So I decided I want to read the Stoker Awards and the Shirley Jackson Awards because there's there's basically two ways to gauge how good horror, like the state of horror short fiction, right? It's like you either look at the retrospective anthologies by Ellen Datlow and Paula Garan, or you can look at who, who won awards. And so I read all of the Stoker Awards and all of the Shirley Jackson Awards, which are the two major award categories. I didn't read the novellas because that's a lot of reading, but, you know, the short fiction. And the Stokers this year weren't that great. So we just figured I just figured we should probably just stick with the Shirley Jackson Awards. <laughs> um, so I can give you a short rundown on the Stokers if you want, or we can just get into the, the Shirley Jacksons. Um, no, I mean, if you want, if you want to give a little uh, rundown, it's fine by me. Sure. So there were five short fiction nominees. Um, 
all except one of them came out of theme anthologies. And I feel like this is a thing that has happened since I stopped paying attention to horror, right? So, like, uh, the winner, which was Lee Murray's Permanent Damage, came out of an 80s-themed anthology. Carol Gazander's The Yellow Crown was, like, a King in Yellow anthology. Cindy O'Quinn's Gathering at the Mountain was uh, a Bible-themed anthology. Anna Taborska's uh, Two Shakes of a Dead Lamb's Tale was an anthology themed around the Scottish lowlands. And then the, the odd one out was uh, Kyla Lee Ward, Whisper in the Death Pit, uh, which appeared in Weird Book, which is like a modern attempt to do Weird Tales, uh, even though mm-hmm. I think Weird Tales is still being published. Um, yeah, I think I think Weird Tales still sporadically comes out. So, yeah. Yeah. And uh, none of the they all felt like filler you know, if you, if you buy a good anthology, there's like five stories that'll kill you. And then there's a bunch that are, you just kind of read through to get to the next really great story. And they all kind of felt like filler to me. Um, the best one was the one that won, which was the Lee Murray permanent damage, which is about, um, a bride and her bridesmaids in the eighties, uh, going to a hair salon to get her hair done for her wedding. And the guy puts a thing like chemicals on her hair and it turns her hair into a bunch of snakes. And then, uh, madcap mayhem ensues as a bunch of people die trying to deal with these angry poisonous snakes. And it ends with uh, the bride getting married with. So the, the, the narrator is one of the bridesmaids. She's not like the maid of honor, um, the maid of honor and like, like all the other bridesmaids get killed. And the narrators like sees an opportunity to become the bridesmaid, which she does. And mm-hmm. the ending is the, the, the bride getting married with, you know, a, big hair piece to kind of hide the snakes as they're shifting around. Um, and it was, it was fun. The, like the, the, the splattery bits of like having to deal with a person with snakes on their head were kind of fun. And it did have a twist, you know, which is more than most of these. And it wasn't like a totally unpredictable twist, but it was a twist and that was something. Yeah. Okay. That's actually, that sort of sounds kind of cool. Uh, it's fun. It, Check it, it out. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think that there are, um, there is uh, space in horror for like th- those fun concepts like that. Um, but uh, so, so then uh, do we want to just shift over uh, to our Shirley Jackson award uh, categories? Sure. All right. So um so in 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 this short fiction uh category, uh if I'm remembering correctly, uh is it Isabel J. Kim? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um she won with You'll Understand When You're a Mom Someday. This is out of Corio magazine. Uh full disclosure, folks, I will be having a story published in Corio magazine <laughs> later mm-hmm. on this month. So yes. uh, or by the time this comes out, it should be out already. Uh in any case. Uh, Carlo, as your lawyer, I'm signing off on that disclosure. Nice nicely done. You you're 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 yes, I, I do try. I, I had to practice that in front of a mirror a couple times. Um <laughs> But but yeah, so uh, that was the one that won uh, mm-hmm. in the short fiction category, and then in the novel et in the novel et novelette category, uh, it was uh, E. A. Petricone or Petriconi. I'm not sure. Maybe I'm doing uh, Italian <laughs> Italian discrimination, anti-Italian discrimination right now. Uh, we the girls who did not make it uh, that came out in Nightmare magazine. Uh, full disclosure: I do not have a story coming out coming out in Nightmare Magazine. 
anytime soon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but uh, we, we, we can probably talk about those individually. Um, yeah. So you want to start go, with, the, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, do you want to start with the Kim? I have, I have a lot of comments on Petricone, but Kim, I feel like mm-hmm. I didn't get it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounded like you did. So I'm curious what you thought of the Kim. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Let, let, let's start off with uh, the, the Kim story. And uh, I, I do have to say that I, I, I had not uh, read anything by uh, by Kim until I read this one. And then she had something come out in Clark's World recently um, that had a um, – that, that really sort of uh, I felt was was really interesting – uh, so, so I've been sort of keeping an eye out, although I think this past year, like I was reading sort of the end of year sort of awards eligibility posts and everyone's except myself, uh, you know, published like seven stories or 26 stories. And you're like, how, why, how, <laughs> like what, how, Yeah. anyway, no, go ahead. no, I was just going to say that, um, the Kim story, I felt, uh, like like I read through it, I really enjoyed it. I'm not entirely sure. Like my general thoughts, I'm not entirely sure if the ending works entirely, a hundred percent for me. But the everything before that, uh, that last sort of ending scene, if you will, really worked really like very well for me. Um, I think uh, what what probably drew me in is the fact that uh, you get like this very sort of um, it's not, I don't know that it's like super descriptive, but it's sort of um, really interesting way to start the story where basically there it's a couple that's having like a home birth and the mother dies as she's, you know, in, in the process and somehow she's brought back. Yeah. Uh, and um and that that really sort of uh I I felt like that really drew me in because we we generally don't uh, at least I have not seen a lot of uh stories that deal with like you know like pregnancies that are n- not going well or you know, like or, or or rather pregnancies that the birth goes badly. Mhm. Uh, I, I think we do get some, especially like, <laughs> like in the Rosemary's baby vein where, where something while the pregnancy is in, in pro, you know, like the, during the pregnancy, there's, there's, you know, sort of like worries or anxieties about something's wrong with the baby, that type of thing. But we, we don't necessarily get that mixed with like, oh no, oh shit, something's going wrong during the birth. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean it's it's definitely like fertile ground for a horror story. So do do mm. you want do you want to summarize it real briefly or are we just going to go? No, we we can we can summarize. We can summarize. It's fine. Yeah, go go ahead and 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 take a crack at so it. So as I understood this this woman um her name is Annalise. She is doing an at-home delivery and she dies and gives birth. Um and then 
something happens. It is not clear. Her husband has a pair of scissors with him, um, and he calls the EMTs. The the scissors remain mysterious for a little bit. He calls the EMTs, and um, it cuts to them both back. So she's back alive. They have this weird kid, um, like a non-responsive child, like doesn't doesn't really do much, but is alive. And it the, the rest of the story is kind of like the relationship between this guy, uh, his wife, who seems to be possessed by some sort of entity or force, and this odd baby who I think is odd, but I don't know has a specific explanation for why it's odd other than magic has been involved, right? Mm-hmm. And it seems as though... He, like, this was one of the things I wasn't sure about, and maybe it said it and I missed it, but it seems as though he had performed a pact. Either he had killed her as some kind of sacrifice, or he had performed some kind of sacrifice to bring her back. But whatever it was, the thing that's inhabiting her body has a bond with him, and like an explicit contract. And mm-hmm. they live out their lives according to this explicit contract, which, I mean, as you read it, it makes him sound like a very bad husband, right? Like, he has all these expectations, he puts a lot of limits on his wife at, at the same time. Like she does seem to be an eldritch creature. Like he's not wrong about that. Mm-hmm. And right. she's trying to find a way. The creature is trying to find a way, I guess, to get out of this contract and find a new contract so that she doesn't have to deal with this nonsense anymore, like a better deal. Um, and she eventually finds it through her neighbor um, who brings her the scissors that are involved in this, um, that were somehow involved in this ritual at the beginning. And, as I as as I recall, the dimensions open up for her and she and her baby go into Eldritch space or mm-hmm. some other space at the very end. Yes. Yeah. And, and I think that that last part is is sort of the part that um, there's something about how it's uh, portrayed or or the writing style that doesn't exactly work for me. I mean, it. it Let's let's put it this way. It 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 works maybe like eighty five percent for me, but there's something I don't know. I was I was expecting something different. I don't know. I, and I, and maybe maybe that's that's a me problem, right? Because you know, like obviously that's the story we're given. I have to receive it as as is. But but at the same time, like I was expecting, I don't know, something. Uh, maybe she gets like like I. I I'm not even sure if I understood. I, I understood the reason why she wanted to take the baby with her, since she seems to want to be free of pretty much every attachment. Hmm. It, I, it, it worked for me. I I, I thought it was um because I first of all I, I I didn't read the baby as being like weird at all. It just felt like a normal baby to me, which I thought was like an even. Interesting, more interesting juxtaposition between her, how the you know the the resurrected um, mother was acting compared to how like normal the baby seemed, um, and uh, so I think she like I, the way I I got it as like this eldritch ke- creature was like developing a bond with like this human baby and and just decided to take it with her at the end there. Hmm. I I can see that. It's it's also I, I, this is an interesting story because I think you know it's it's very uh, suggestive of like you know the the time period after the birth of of a child is very is like a, a definite make or break uh, time period for a relationship and uh, like you know there's times where like 
you know, people will reveal themselves and not be who you thought they were or stuff like that. And um, or or the opposite or that, you know, that somebody like steps up and comes through. And unfortunately, like I like, you know, obviously this seems like much more the the former. But um, it, like, you know, just just the um, feeling kind of like alien to the person you're with and stuff like that. I don't know. It, it was interesting themes that were explored. How 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 what was your take on the husband? How guilty or how? How much of this responsibility was on him? Uh, I mean, I, I feel like all of it. Like, I think I took it as he, like, he. I, I took it as it was. Like, he he did make some sort of like using whatever his you know his arcana that he was you know researching. Um, he he purposely did did this to save her life or something along those lines. I don't, I, 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 that's that part's not quite clear. I think. Um, so, so I think I took a, a much more, <laughs> a much more, um, sinister view of, of, of him. Like initially I thought, oh, he tried to save her, but as time as, as like the story goes on and you realize like, you know, how much sort of, responsibility he bears for her being trapped in this in this body and all that stuff it made me sort of reconsider and think well did he just want someone to take care of did he want to have a child Mm -hmm. without having a wife uh you know Hmm. or, or, or or having a wife that would only be interested in taking care of the child and because you know, like, like, I think that there's there's an interesting ambiguity here because, like you said, Sean and uh, and 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 Chris, like I I do think that that there's it's hard to read him mainly because we're seeing him through her eyes and she is no longer human, right? right? Yeah, right. And then. Second and, and bound by these very sort of uh, stringent sort of like contractual obligations. Like one of the, the 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 reason that she she can't you know like take the scissors is because that's part of the contract. She she can't use the the object that was used to sort of like bring her in, into being right, mm-hmm. or summon her from the outside, the outer darkness, or whatever the fuck. Um, so she needs to have someone help her, which is the neighbor. Um, so we're seeing it through this eldritch creature's eyes, who is already sort of very distant and alien, uh, like humans are alien to it. Um, but also, like, he retreats, like he just goes to work. And mm-hmm. we don't really get a sense of what, like, he, whenever he's around, it's like, just, you know, like, they're, 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 there's, you know, they're not having any type of intimacy. Like, obviously you can't have sex right away, but, but there's not even really intimacy between them anymore. Mm-hmm. It's just very strange. He seems scared of her. Like he seems yeah. to know that she's very eldritch and other, but it's, I mean, it's hard to say if he like knew that before he did it. It's also interesting that we never meet her until like, we never meet Annalise, the actual person. We just meet mm-hmm. the entity. You know, so you well, can't really so, say. So one of the, I think uh, I was reading up, uh, and, and I think this was on Twitter that um, Isabel J. Kim mentioned this story, and she was like very, you know, very thrilled that it 
it won and and so on. But uh, one of the things that she she mentioned, uh, you know, self describing this story uh, was that it was a reverse selkie story, and that, like, obviously, it's not just a selkie, but you know, uh, you know, like a a a sort of fey, almost fey creature that exists mm. on the earth. This is an eldritch creature, but it is, I, I think it's interesting because it is sort of, it does follow like some base, the very basic rules of what a Selkie is, right? Yeah. It wears the skin. Uh, and you know, the, the, the person who, in this case, the person who makes the skin or may, you know, it lets her inhabit the skin is the person who has control over her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that uh, this one and the other one that I thought was like the other best one ha- is a lot about like writing from a, 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 a point of view that you don't see often. Um, like this one was from from the point of view of the Selkie uh, or whatever we're saying uh, she was. And then um, the I, I really like the uh, the Victoria um, story. Yeah, the forward uh, Victoria. Forward Victoria, mm-hmm. because it's like from the point of view of like a slasher, uh, like like a, like the supernatural like slasher, like a Jason, mm-hmm. um, and like you know coming back and like it's like we're going through a whole like you know series of six m- movies that were like two of them were okay, and you know they always had really cool covers that oversold the movie on the VHS aisle. Uh, <laughs> that that was the, the the sense I got from that story. Well, I, I, uh, you're, you, it's funny because I, what I thought of was, uh, like Bloody Mary. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. No, I, I, uh, I got the same feeling as Chris did. Like these are sequels to a slasher film, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's some, some kid has a new rhyme. They say, I guess we're getting ahead of ourselves, but, mm-hmm. um, it is so, it, very aware. Let me, let me, yeah. yeah. Let me back up and say, uh, so, so this was on the ballot for the short fiction, um, but the 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 story is called uh, Forward Victoria by Carly St. George. Uh, it was published uh, in the Dark magazine, which, you know, uh, the, the Dark is um, just very, I feel like it has a very good, uh, like very solidly, <laughs> like a lot of it solidly falls into the, the horror, mm. like right into the median, uh, I feel. There's lots of really good, you know, bleak stuff in there. And this is, this is pretty good. This mm-hmm. is pretty bleak. I mm-hmm. liked it. Yeah. But I, I'm sorry. I, I cut, I cut both of you off. So f- feel free to continue. Yeah. This was my favorite of all of the stories that, that mm. were nominated for novella or, or short story. Mm-hmm. And I, like, I agree with Chris. I think the point of view is great. Like it, I, it's, it's clearly a story that's aware it is aware enough of genre to be commenting on genre, right? Like it's consciously structured as a series of slasher films where the monster stays the same, but like all the other characters get older and have to do mm-hmm. crazier and crazier stuff to fight the monster. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it didn't, it wasn't too clever, which is the first sin you can commit doing that, right? Like it was, there's a solid story here, mm, yeah. <laughs> a really a deeply messed up story. That's very good and very satisfying. And it, it's not like it's not maybe the first to ever be from the point of view of the monster, but it's also very convincingly from the point of view of the monster, right? The monster yes. is mm-hmm. uh, Victoria, who was abused by her parents through her whole life and eventually died at their hands, only to be resurrected and to kill them all horribly and 
bloodily. And then every time a, a child uh, wants an adult killed or thinks they want an adult killed, they can say they say a rhyme and that brings her, resurrects her. And she goes on a rampage and just slaughters everybody. Mm-hmm. And this happens so, so, over and over. Yeah. So so the the original person who becomes the monster <laughs> here is her, her name in life was Victoria Waite with a E at the end. Mm-hmm. And so I, I did find it really, um, really amusing and and sort of clever in a, again, like uh, uh, sort of like a Bloody Mary type of chant sort of way mm-hmm. that um, that, you know, uh, St. George is able to incorporate the rhyming for different things. Like, I think the first rhyme that uh, we see, like it's sort of told a, a little bit non-linearly uh, in part, because I feel like if you are a monster that it, that it will, will rise, um, you know, it, even though like vast swaths of time have passed, you know, mm-hmm. and you, you're not awake yeah, or conscious. Like I do feel like that's the type of sort of fragmented sort of reality you'd have. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did like, you know, was it, uh, wait, Victoria, wait, uh, kill my parents. I want to stay out late or something like that is the yeah. first rhyme. Uh, and, and, and the funny thing is like, obviously like it's become like almost a, uh, a, a dare that kids do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Victoria shambles her way out of the well, which brought to mind a uh, ring of mm-hmm. course. Yeah. Um, shambles her way out of the well and actually kills that fucking girl's parents. Yeah. Like for real. <laughs> and and like all of the adults around the parents, right? Like mm-hmm. you don't let your kids well, stay up yeah. late. Like she's not just going to kill you. She's not just going to kill you if you don't let your kids stay up late. She's going to kill the neighbors for letting it happen. She's going to kill all the cops. She's going to kill the prince. Like she is. Mm-hmm. She's going ham. Wait, wait, what was that third part again? Killing all the cops? Yeah. Said? Oh yeah, she kills a bunch of cops in this. It's great. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> um I, I I did find it really interesting that um that uh you know, like as the story progresses, uh you realize that the first time she came up out of the well or whatever, um she basically like she 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 wants to kill her parents, but they were sufficiently influential mm-hmm. and wealthy enough in the town that they just, as soon as she disappeared as a quote missing person, they killed her mm-hmm. uh, folks. Uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. They killed her because uh, you know, they, they're, they're very, like it, it comes across in the story that they're very religious, mm-hmm. uh, very strict. And they were trying to purge her of, you know, all these temptations, such as going to prom and dancing with her date, mm-hmm. uh, for instance. And she dies. Or, I'm sorry, it wasn't prom. We actually get a correction from that. Yeah. <laughs> from, from Victoria. It, it was homecoming. Um, right. Well, and, and that was, yeah, I, that's just a nice touch because, like, as the story progresses, like, the, the her story gets the, the mythology of, of Victoria Wake. Uh, changes and from changes from homecoming to prom like it permutates as it like the, you know the game of telephone yeah yeah that it, it's it's great because it, it does sort of mimic the the way that a story's like parts of a, the parts that don't fit 
in a story mm-hmm. slowly get sort of elided and mm-hmm. or changed to be more poetic yeah. or ironic or dramatic. Exactly. Um, and so, so the first thing she wants to do is kill her parents and they just, they left town, dude. She can't find them. I, I got the feeling that she can only sort of like stay within the town. I think that's right. Although later, doesn't she get like their address and she's just like, eh. <laughs> I don't know if I want to go to all that effort. <laughs> <laughs> slacker, slacker, slasher. Uh, I'm sorry, so, you're saying. Right. So her friend Molly at, at the very end, she says, you know, I tried to find your parents. Used to think, oh, okay. All right. So. Uh, her friend could never find them. That was the thing. Uh, that is what I'm thinking of. Um, but it, mm. one of the things I liked about this is it, I mean, it does have a deeper theme in addition to being a lot of like gory murders, which are great. I love gory murders. Um, mm-hmm. And and one part of it is the way in which like both, both how like adults are culpable, right? Even if you're not directly the person like causing abuse, like you have a responsibility to stop it. And if you're negligent in that, there is a lot of blame to that. Right. But the flip mm-hmm. side is also Victoria is like 16 eternally. And in her mind, once you hit 18, you are corrupted and damned and mm-hmm. absolutely worth killing. There's you just, there are no good adults at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and that like, I liked that, that, that felt like me when I was that age too, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and it, it, it does, it does explain a lot about her MO as a monster too, you know? Yes. Well, I mean, yeah, she, she's, she's sort of like a very much a Holden Caulfield sort of a mindset, <laughs> right? Phonies. Everyone else. that's a phony dead motherfucker. <laughs> Kill that fucker. Uh, the slasher in the rye. Oh, Hey, Oh, <laughs> uh, that, that's a great title, Chris. <laughs> the slasher in the rye. Um, so so yeah i i agree sean i think that this story was very strong um and and in fairness i think it was stronger than than you'll understand when you're a mom someday uh i i don't know it 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 just hit all the right uh you know, it it felt very much like the type of thing, like you're saying, Sean. It it, it felt very much like it's in conversation with genre, mm-hmm. um, and sort of threading together without being like super referential, right? Like, yeah, like if if you get it, you get it. Like like we've already rattled off, like you know, like what is it, uh, Sadako from The Ring, you know, like Jason from <laughs> Friday the Thirteenth, mm-hmm. um, and, and so on, um. And, 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 but none of those are, are sort of like made super apparent. Uh, like again, if you get it, well, you get it. If not, it's, it's in the story. It's a little detail that still makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, we forgot that her MO is also, what was it? Uh, she, she loves, uh, making, uh, human origami. Yes. God. God. <laughs> I'm just I'm just imagining like Blade Runner, but just so much more gory. <laughs> that unicorn was that unicorn was my boss. <laughs> yeah, there's some good violent nasty kills in this one. Mm-hmm. Um For it, sure. the the part of me that just loves that kind of violence was very pleased with this. <laughs> I think really the only story, if the only, I think really the only story that had that kind of 
of slashery feel to it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's not it's not exactly like it's 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 almost getting into splatterpunk territory. I feel right, but mm. but not quite because it doesn't it doesn't go into the sur- like the the surreal aspects of splatterpunk. Um, I felt. Mm. Um. But uh, yeah, so so do we want to talk a little bit about the <laughs> Gordon B. White is creating haunting weird horror by Gordon B. White. Um, so Sean, you you you'd mentioned that uh, you you sort of you sort of dug this one. Uh, uh, I remember uh, reading it and going, "Huh, it's sort of clever." <laughs> yeah, it's it it doesn't. It isn't too clever, I think. It is a very clever story. So it's, I believe it's second person. I actually read it like a few weeks ago. But it's its second person, and you sign up to Gordon White's Patreon, and he sends you a postcard and the as part of your Patreon gift. And, like, the postcard is this dumb little three-sentence, you know, haunted creature or whatever. And... You're like, aha, well, this is this is stupid. I'm going to cancel my subscription. You fail to cancel the subscription because the postcards keep coming. And all of a sudden, everything, each one of them, each thing that is described on a postcard is now haunting your house. And <laughs> for a very for a much higher subscription tier, you could get a postcard that removes them all from <laughs> Gordon B. White. And I think I don't know. It was clever. I, I wouldn't say that it was like super memorable, but it it, it put a smile on my face. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I and and I do think that I, I always enjoy stories that have little tinier stories in them, mm-hmm. uh, and, and and like <laughs> what what is, uh, sorry it's uh, postcards of lesser known haunted houses mm-hmm. <laughs> is the is the <laughs> the seven dollar tier on on Gordon B White's Patreon, and uh, like each one of them has like yeah like you said Sean like like a three sentence. Um, description of exactly what the haunting is you know and again like i said i got a soft spot for for stories that have stories in them Mm -hmm. it is uh it plays to a very real uh horror too which is the horror of being unable to cancel a patreon subscription when it sucks (laughs) yes yes (laughs) yes or 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 perhaps you yeah the the horror uh, of uh you know that being not being able or thinking to yourself well maybe maybe you'll have a good episode next week (laughs) right yeah i'll hang on for another month that's right all right well before before we we make anyone listening to our (laughs) episode think that uh let's i guess we could move on to uh was it the nicasio andres reed uh human reason which was uh in Unfettered Hexes, Queer Tales of Insatiable Darkness by, uh, I believe this is a Neon Hemlock uh, press release. And it, uh, won, anthology. it won the Shirley, that anthology won or tied for the, this year's Shirley Jackson Award for Best Anthology. Mm. Well, <laughs> having said that, <laughs> having said that, uh, yeah, like, well, take, take, take my, 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 uh, you know, my utterance as you will, uh, dear listener. But, uh, I, you know, like, I think this story had for me, it had some really interesting details. It's like to summarize, it's, it's about, um, these, uh, this, this basically a Filipino queer man who is traveling with a 
another Filipino who's like one of his best friends, who of course he's also very infatuated with, um, traveling from the Philippines to, I believe, Seattle to catch another to catch a ride or another boat to Alaska so that they can they can basically uh work as uh I forget if it's uh fish uh fishing trawlers out there or something to that effect um and then uh he he gets involved the main character gets involved with uh the the boss of a basically a mobster that sort of runs all the gambling and the vice the vices out in Alaska and in the Juneau region. And um and then he he's he's trying to figure out a way to get his buddy who is involved in one of those vices, which is bo- boxing, um to save his skin, basically. Uh and he he sort of comes into contact with another sort of like I don't even know. Was he like an enforcer or like a lieutenant or just somebody that's in the organization who happens to be uh, an Aswang, uh, which, as I looked it up, is sort of a shape-shifting monster that uh, is, uh, uh, you know, Filipino uh, sort of like folklore uh, shape-shifting monster. Let's put mm. it that way. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, I uh, I have to say. Uh, <laughs> I felt like the writing here was really solid, but it felt like somehow I'm sorry, uh, but it felt like somehow they, you know, read ran out of space hmm. or ran up against the, the word count and, you know, sort of like really rushed an ending. Yeah. That didn't really feel like, I, I, I don't even know what exactly happened. And uh, I'm sort of, uh, <sighs> I'm sort of torn because I want to like, if it was up to me, I'd be like, look, give me, you know, give me like 3000 more words of whatever you wanted to do at the very least. And let's, let's see what you got. Yeah. Um, I mean, I I liked everything about it except the supernatural bits. Like mm -hmm. those felt, I don't know, like cursory, like Carla said, like not, not well developed. Mm-hmm. Um, I love, I, I mean, I, I think the character's great. I love you Filipino immigrant who's gay, but he's repressed and doesn't want to admit it. And also he's kind of a petty gangster. Like that's, that's a cool character. There's a lot of meat in that and that setting yeah. as well. Right. Like mm-hmm. immigrant fishing village in Alaska in like the great depression. That, and, and it's like, like he's got so many conflicts, Yeah, <laughs> yeah. like so many conflicts, you know, like you could take that story in so many different directions. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, oh, okay. uh, Sean. I, yeah, I, but, I just but then you interject. get to the supernatural, right? And it, the the direction he takes it in is he meets an Aswang, which, as I understand it, that's a term that refers to a lot of different kinds of monsters. So this particular mm-hmm. Aswang is like a, a a sorcerer, like he can put curses on people. Um, and it, I, it's not exactly clear what he wants the Aswang to do for him. I think what he wants is to make his friend fall in love with him so that they can escape together. Uh, since the gangster has put out a, a hit on his friend, uh, in part because his friend is trying to organize a union, which is was another aspect I thought was really cool. You don't oh, see a lot right, of yeah. right, organized yeah. labor in stories in general, so it's very cool to see it here. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, then you got to the Aswang, and the Aswang was just like, well, I can't do that, but I can make us float away, and then they float away. That was <laughs> as best I could figure it out, and it was, it was kind of effortless. It didn't make a lot of sense to me, and it felt like 
So what I think might have happened is he wanted to convey the strangeness of what was going on through the point of view of a character who, you know, is hard headed, doesn't believe in the supernatural, not 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 necessarily the most expressive person either. And so it comes off vague, but it the vagueness doesn't work like it's just like I said, like it seems like they float away, which is the least interesting thing you could have done here. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I feel like, yeah, like, like it's, it's almost like a super literal take on how to escape yeah. the situation. <laughs> and it's so like, I, I felt like, like, I think that that's to a certain extent, it was so on the nose that I, I honestly, I had to read, like, I reread that ending, like that last page. I reread it at least three times. I was like, wait, 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 wait hold on. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's it? <laughs> that, yeah. What? And, and like, it, it, God, it felt like, like good foreplay that then just stops. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> that sounds really mean, but uh, honestly, it felt very much like that. Oh, in part because it had it did have a lot of promise. It just couldn't mm-hmm. deliver. You got to stick the ending. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just I, I, yeah like I, I, I always remember the uh, the the line from adaptation, the movie. It's like <laughs> if you if you nail the ending, they'll forgive anything, and it, mm. it's it's absolutely true. It's absolutely, yeah. True. absolutely, yeah, true. yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, so I I was um you know when I was reading this, I think I was in a like uh, a different frame of mind because I was uh, under the impression that the Shirley Jackson awards were just for horror. So I was, um, I was kind of like, this is not horror at all. Like there's like some <laughs> supernatural elements, but like, it's, it's, it's more just, it's almost like I, I, I was enjoying it, but I'm like, there, where's the horror? Where's the horror? And, and then, um, then I, I found out that it's, it is more, um, like uh, oh, the awards are open to more than to that. It's, so that, uh, so I, I so I think I should probably give that another reread. Um, because mm-hmm. like I was very interested in the, like you said this the idea of this a Filipino immigrant in you know the Great Depression in the Pacific Northwest is a, like a very interesting. I you know it reminds me of something like First Cow or something like that where um you know it's like that kind of milieu is not not seen at all on any sort of media so it would be an interesting area to delve into um particularly from that point of view um but th- then it has like the supernatural stuff is kind of just just kind of window dressing mm-hmm. yeah yeah all right um so uh i guess we could then uh round out with uh dizzy in the weeds by ld lewis uh, this was also in Unfettered Hex's Queer Tales of Insatiable Darkness. Uh, so, uh, so basically, uh, I'll summarize and say, um, first off, this felt like a story in an ongoing series. Yes. Um, so much this, lore. Yeah. And, and this had like a, a very, um, I think, we were talking about this offline and uh, I, I was being really mean because I said that this felt like a very, uh, you know, very competently written, but sort of 
mid nineties urban fantasy yes. series type of thing yep. that nowadays we would, we would probably only find like on Kindle unlimited or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, exactly. I actually got the author confused with L.A. Banks, who wrote a bunch of those. And I was like, oh, this is just one chapter from the new, like, <laughs> Dizzy novel or whatever. And then it turned out that that doesn't seem to be the case. Like, there's a whole plot thread, like the, the opening plot thread just vanishes. She makes a call mm-hmm. to the cops and that's the last you ever hear of it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so so I, I, I thought that that was going to be an interesting uh, sort of like. Uh, complication right because so so dizzy is sort of like the the sort of like one of the urban fantasy mainstays right which is a sort of a supernatural private eye right mm-hmm. uh or fixer or, or what have you right mm-hmm. yeah. she is sent to go investigate things of a supernatural nature try to uh like I don't know, fix things, uh, remedy things, exercise ghosts, uh, whatever it may be exactly. And, um, and so, uh, she's, when we begin the story, she's being sent to a hotel, a specific hotel room because apparently, um, somebody that like the, the wife of somebody of the person she's being sent to track and uh, an older gentleman uh, has been, you know, basically, you know, running around on his wife, right? She's mm-hmm. been hired by his wife to figure out, you know, who's, who he's running around with. Well, well, most importantly, she's, she hired uh, her to grab the, his wedding ring, his wedding band. Uh, that's right. Yes, absolutely. Um, because she's like obviously as a symbol of like you know like their marriage is you know no longer mm-hmm. valid or whatever. Anyway, so it turns out that uh, the whomever he was with that night, at the very least, uh, he's killed and mm-hmm. put into a suitcase, and she binds the ghost into the wedding ring. Yes, and then like you said, Sean, that thread she she tries to fob it off onto like her mentor type of character uh who then says well see you've got to do a fetch quest for me (laughs) yeah yes and so the the thing here is that when i saw like she sees the ghost in the darkened um in the darkened hotel room and i thought to myself oh man is this going to turn into like, you know, she's like, oh, you know, I'm here to, to, you know, like avenge your death or something to that effect. And, and I thought that the most interesting thing I could think of is going like, yeah, the ghost says, yeah, but see, the thing is, I wanted this. Mm. And then it's sort of developing from there. And that's not what we get. We get more or less like she gets sort of like, basically shoved into a ring <laughs> and then sort of like forgotten almost till the end. And I think she's still, she's still wearing the the ring on her necklace uh, almost at the end. And that's it. There's also a funny line in that scene, like an unintentionally funny line where she says something to the effect of like, I'm not even a good detective. And like, Lady, if you can talk to murder victims and find out who killed them, you're possibly the best detective in the world, right? (laughs) That's the whole game of being a detective in that case. Yeah. Well, I I guess because this this story really, really – like to be – 
Yeah, this is probably the most like towards the edges of the Shirley Jackson uh, sort of mission statement, if you will. Right. Yeah. I I felt it was very much on the on the outskirts, um, in part because it's it's very um, like I think that there's lots of cleverness in the writing. Uh, you know, I I I don't I didn't think that the writing was like super evocative for me. It's not really my thing, mm-hmm. but you know, to be fair, it it went along. It it's you know it's it's readable it's it's got some clever lines in it um <laughs> there are some funny bits like you said Sean, like i'm not even a good detective it's like mm-hmm. yeah well you know you can find out who killed who that that's better than any detective ever <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. i i think so i i don't know I, I i appreciate uh thrillers a little differently from horror um right cuz like thriller a lot of a thriller or a good crime thriller is about the mechanics and about people doing things that are rational given the circumstances. And here there was a lot of, there was not a lot of that. So there was, she, she goes on a fetch quest for a putatively for a demon. And once she has the thing he wants, she summons ghosts that eat all of his minions, which I didn't know you could do that. That seems (laughs) a little broken. I would nerf that in the, in the next patch. Yeah, the, the meta the meta is really messed up in this game. Yeah. And then she goes confronts the gangster and is like, "I can just shoot you." So she just shoots him. So the gangster is theoretically like possessed by a demon, but it doesn't matter because he's exactly the same as any other gangster, and you just <laughs> shoot him and you're done. Um, which felt he also felt weird to me, but it was just like I mean, it, there was yeah, not a lot of shit. effort. In getting his, yeah, like, his, his, his ball, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That that was that was like such a such a. Um, I the, felt the, like that was such a un, unimaginative, uh, yeah. sort of name. The, right? the, the guy possessed by a demon's name is Ball. Oh, go figure. Oh, I mean, at least do some effort and call him Ball Lenciaga. You know, <laughs> I think he was a guy named Andre who was literally possessed by Ball. I think that's why oh. he's called Andre Ball. Oh. Yes, yes, that's a, a, a you know the the ball the, those demons they they want to have their name recognitions right in your name. That's right. <laughs> you're you're now co-sponsoring that demon. Uh, the other <laughs> thing is like he wasn't very good as a gangster. Like he went to this lady and he was just like, "I'm going to menace you. Now go get the thing that I value most in the world." Well, what do you think she's going to do once she has it? Right. You then now she has it. Now you can't kill her because she's got the thing. And mm-hmm. in fact, what ends up happening is she, that didn't even have an effect on her. Like she was going to destroy him anyway. So poor planning yeah, on I the mean, gangster's it, part. Like if you're, I, I even, I even think that like in that, um, in this type of sort of subgenre, wouldn't the gangster send like one of his own men or whatever, you know, one of his own people along with, the the private eye to Absolutely. make sure yeah you know, that they they follow the you know the, the the rules as the gangster wants them to follow and so on and so forth uh yeah it it feels like dizzy is um is very op um hmm. uh and and is uh has been given the dm's uh you know like basically dm's umbrella you know there's there's no way that the that dizzy will ever really have like there's some menace, there might be some threatening, but there's never an actual danger. And that's, I feel like that's part of the problem. Like I, I'm joking around here a little bit, but 
But honestly, a part of the problem of the uh, story is the fact that I never really felt that Dizzy was out of her depth um, or like in a like like in a good noir or, or private eye type of uh, story where you mix, you know, like if you're going to mix in with that type of thing, you should probably give a nod to the, to the sort of like the, the conventions of that sort of subgenre as well. Right. Mm-hmm. And in general, most, most private eye type of uh, people are generally just like really out of their depth. They're given a case that they can't really solve in any real way. I don't know. It, it, it should feel a little doomed. I don't know. The best thrillers for me are the ones where the hero is either just quite competent enough to succeed or not quite competent enough to succeed. He's like, there's a bar and he's either just over or just under that bar. And she is mm-hmm. way over the bar here. She has no, no real challenges. She has multiple ways she could have resolved this, all of them probably involving the death of that whole gang. Um, and it just isn't it isn't that thrilling, you know, because there's no challenge for her, you know. Yeah. And, and and to your I think your earlier point, the fact that she just sort of dispatches them by doing something that she could have done from like basically the first <laughs> the first scene where uh, Andre Ball and his gangsters show up uh, is sort of like very anticlimactic, you know? Yeah. Because it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like she needed to find a specific spell or lore or whatever uh, to to do that. Uh, it doesn't feel like she didn't have to get out um, of a car to do it. Like she really didn't have to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. Anyway, I think we're we're we should probably wrap up on on uh, dizzy in the weeds. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to harp on it too much longer. We we have the novelettes ahead of us. And 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 before we start in on this, just full disclosure to everyone listening, uh, there were a couple of the novelettes that sadly we weren't able to read, mainly because of uh because we couldn't get our hands on them before <laughs> before uh recording. Uh so we will read uh sadly uh Lisa Unger's House of Crows, uh we did not read. Uh, Jess Landry's uh, The Night Belongs to Us, we did not read. We did, however, read um, A.C. Wise's The Nag Bride, which was uh, included in her own uh, collection called The Ghost Sequences. Um, former guest of the of Potsign as well. Um, we did read E.A. Petriconi's uh, We the Girls Who Did Not Make It, which was the uh, winner uh, also published in Nightmare Magazine, uh, and uh, Margaret Jameson's The Women, which was uh, published in, I'm going to guess that's Friction uh, Magazine. So um, do we want to talk about uh, The Winner first? Can we talk about it last? Because that's the one I have the most comments on. Okay, that's I am perfectly fine with that. All right, so do we want to do The Nag Bride then? Sure. All right. So, um, so the nag bride, uh, I, I don't know if that was a story that was written specifically for the collection. I have, uh, sadly, I did not check, but, um, but I, I, I rather like this one. Uh, I think Sean, we were talking a little bit, um, before this about how it, it, it definitely has it again. This is a story that falls right in that median section of horror. 
uh, you know, basically a young girl who is sort of almost foster parented by her neighbors because of abusive parents, uh, slowly learns this lore about the town or the, the area where she lives, where there is a, a ghost or an apparition. It's not entirely clear, right? Uh, because it doesn't feel like it's a ghost ghost in the, the traditional sense. It's like, Ooh, in a house. Uh, but it, it sort of haunts the area. It, it almost feels like a, like a, a, like a sort of like a, a fairy creature or, or something to that effect. Right. Um, because it, it sort of haunts the entire region. Um, and so she learns about this uh, creature called the, excuse me, the Nag Bride, who uh, is basically, um, as we start learning about her past and the house that she lives in uh, and how they always, uh, you know, nail up like these uh, horseshoes and, and, you know, in the doorways to, to, the house, like the, the outer doorways to the house to sort of ward off the nag bride. And, uh, the nag bride apparently is a creature, uh, sort of like almost, um, I, I know that we mentioned it before, uh, but this isn't really a boss baby thing. It's, it does feel like, a, like the type of apparition that would, that was from the ring, right? Where it's a, a folklore story where this guy basically marries quote unquote his bride by nailing her fucking hands and feet to the ground. Uh, and that's how he makes sure that she's, you know, sort of like faithful to him or what have you. There, there's different variations as well. Uh, because there's like a, 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 like the oldest story is like a guy that just, do, 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 walks down to the local, you know, general store or, or, or hardware store and asks for a shovel because he's, you know, they ask him, what is, what is it for? He's like, oh, I'm just going to murder my wife. Do, 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 do. No one says anything about it. Yeah, it seems and, like so th there's there's this early like like it starts with the the the, the girl who's the, the primary focus and her best friend. um in a cornfield and they're telling scary stories and he tells her the story of the nag bride and his is like it's just a guy who's going through the forest and like sees a, a horse he sees a horse in his field he chases the horse and he doesn't find the horse but he finds a beautiful woman whom he marries and then as i recall just like nails her to the ground right um or something or nail no that's right he nails horseshoes to her i think and that kills her mm -hmm. he shoot yeah he shoes her and it's not clear what the connection so as the story goes on there's like these little interspersed moments of history from this area about men who have killed their wives or men who have done like mostly killed their wives mostly involving nails and it's not mm -hmm. really clear what the connection between killing of the wives where the wives are like real people or like non- non-monsters together with this sort of monstrous nag bride is. It's not clear, but they seem to come together. It's almost as if they decide to divorce their wives in the most horrible way possible to wed the nag bride. But it mm -hmm. it's not it's not clear, and that's actually on purpose, I think. Yeah, I, I feel like uh it's one of the strengths of that uh of of the 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 entire sort of like the 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 invented folklore for the story, right? Um 
that, that it does feel very sort of like disjointed, disconnected, but there's just enough. It's, it's almost like strung together by dream logic, right? Because you start, you start sort of like intuiting sort of the, the connections, right? Right. Anything uh, with wives and nails and murder in some combination is nag bride related, but it's not the, the causality is not clear. Right. Mm-hmm, right. Yeah, like like it's not it's not made clear like oh he saw the nag bride and then he killed his wife you know it, it, it's just simply like it, it almost feels like the nag bride herself is like a a composite uh, creature right like a composite of of a bunch of different sort of like I, ghosts or injustices or you know what have you right like, yeah like. Like it doesn't feel like the nag bride is is supposed to be like oh and then you know Emma about you know like Emma Bowman she was the one yeah she's the nag bride you know it's, it's it doesn't ever really give the nag bride a name yeah yeah I mean I I was thinking of her as not so much a wraith as being as like a like a she, I thought of her as like a genuinely mythological creature you know. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, yeah. uh, what is it? Is it the goat man? What's, what's the one that's out in like, out in Jersey, the Jersey devil, the um, Jersey yeah, devil, yeah. you know, just not necessarily like the, the uh, like not necessarily ever has been a person, but just as always this thing. And it, it's even like older myths and, and folk tales are often there. They often were like scary in their time and don't seem that way. And that was how I felt about it too. It had that, that feeling that like, this is a thing that scared people who lived before television, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a woman, but she's like a horse. And they're like, that's I, weird to me, I, but he, it was probably a little more scary. If you haven't watched a ton of movies where people transform <laughs> into stuff, you know? So, so uh, to your point, uh, I feel like it's, it's almost like a, like a Banshee, but, and Banshee might be a little, uh, a, a, a bad example, but, but bear with me because the Banshee, itself doesn't kill you it's you hearing it's you know it's cry or it's you know it's it's song or whatever uh that definitely sort of marks you for doom except that this isn't that the 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 guys that saw or or or, you know perceived the nag bride uh died it's just that somehow it wriggled into their brains that the way to get the nag bride was to shoo their wife the one that they, the flesh and blood one that they had back home or something to that effect. Like, like it's like the nag bride is a harbinger rather than, than, than a, like a ghost or something. Yeah. She says a couple times the the story says at least once that she, you know, she had hands that were meant to receive wounds or something like that. Something very like something that I wouldn't associate with a monster, right? It's more like you're, you're yet another victim in this nonsense. And it, mm-hmm. as it transpires, right? So the, the narrator grows up and then she comes back to her, the house of the people who had taken care of her when her, you know, abusive parents had abandoned her more or less. And she comes back with the, the child of those people and they clean out the house from the, the grandparents. And as they're doing this, the nag bride reappears and seems to be trying to seduce or marry or court uh, the, 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 the man, the, the actual child, the, the narrator's friend. 
And he's an alcoholic or a recovering alcoholic. And of course, he starts drinking again. Alcohol shows up randomly that neither of them purchase. And she she starts to really feel like she is being hunted or he's being hunted, right? Like the nag bride is coming and he's going to wreck your life and he's going to set you on fire. He's going to do whatever it is. He's going to cause you to collapse your life in some way by like committing a murder or whatever. And she she ends up realizing, and this is sort of the denouement of the story, is that it's not... It's as it's as you said, like, it's not that she intends for this to happen, but it's that people sort of the worst impulses and people come out. And so it's not really the nag bride's fault. She is a victim here more than a perpetrator of these kind of things. Um, it is just her, you know, her and other people's misfortune that things go this way. Yeah. And when the narrator realizes this, she decides, OK, I can actually personally take care of the nag bride by you know purchasing this house that we're fixing up and and taking care of the the apparition or the creature or whatever it is which kind of puts it in babadook territory except yeah yes except i prefer it to babadook like like initially initially she uh she pulls out because um the the snippets of lore that we get um are are from the uh the 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 father of the house you know like the 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 patriarch of the house who's been collecting the 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 lore of the nag bride and she finds like uh a bunch of repaired horseshoes um in in the trunk uh actually in her former father's trunk i'm sorry uh, that wasn't, it's, it's separate from the, the lore sections, but she finds like these repaired, uh, like they've been welded back together, uh, horseshoes and she starts nailing them back up. And then like, as she's doing the first or second one, she's like, thinks to herself, well, you know, I could marry the nag bride, you know, like basically to a certain extent, she could, uh, extend like her life to the nag bride and you know purchase the house and stay here and so on and so forth and on the one hand i i feel like it's a it's it's a it's a perfectly fine ending for the story uh especially if we're thinking along the lines of you know the nag bride is always a, like she, she's not really malicious uh it is only happenstance that you know like her 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 tragedy and her victimhood uh is paid forward every time someone sees her um but at the same time like uh, man i don't know i i i always love i i always loved the subversion of that exact uh, idea like the idea that you can appease a a a supernatural creature, you know, like through like a, a vengeful ghost or, or you know, the, the, the eternally victimized nag bride. Uh, I always go back to the ring and I always find that that was like such a, such a, an ominous and sort of like, like you, you realize by the end of that, that everyone's fucking doomed. And that's the type of story I I really really gravitate to. And again, this might be a me a me problem more than anything else. Like, 
up until that point, I was, man, I was ride or die with this story. Really. I really was. Yeah, I, I can see that. So I, this is, this kind of goes in the category with human reason in that neither one really stuck the ending. The difference mm-hmm. being human reason really didn't stick the ending. Like they just, that yeah. was just not a super great, you know, it just wasn't a, an ending that was really worth the material. This is an okay ending. I think it was, yeah, it yeah. was not unsatisfying. It wasn't jarring. Um, I didn't feel like it was the wrong ending per se, but you're right. It was, it was a come down. It was, you could, you could do a lot more with this. And, you know, philosophically you, you may be right. Like, uh, you know, like, like Dr. Manhattan says, like nothing ever ends. Um, mm-hmm. so you can appease ghosts, but like that, 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 that history never goes away. You, know, you can't undo yeah. history. Yeah. And, and I, I feel, and to be clear, I, I, you know, like, I want to be clear that in, you know, like when I, I spoke that it sounds like it's really harsh, but honestly, this is like 95% of the way to, to a good end, like an ending that would have been very satisfying to me. Uh, it's just that last five percent that really, you know, that that that's that's really the the make or break sometimes. Yeah, a somewhat different ending would have definitely, I think, taken this out of the park. I will say, for context, I was flying back from, I was waiting, I was going to fly back to my home while I was reading this, and I was sitting in a public park uh, after dark reading it, and it was a oh, really nice. nice, pleasant, atmospheric. You know, it was cold weather outside, so it felt autumnal and. The atmosphere in this one's really good. There's a lot of, you know, apparitions seen out of the corner of the eye and in cornfields and stuff. So I, I just, because of the setting, like I'm, I'm pretty well disposed to it, but I also agree. Like if it had had a more gut punch of an ending, a little less, a little more, I don't know, like shock or negative emotion or something, I would be a lot more, I would have, I, it would maybe be my favorite if it had done that. Yeah. Oh my God. Could you imagine if, if she had been like, okay, I'll be the nag bride now. And she yeah. nails her own. Like that would be like, I, I'm just sort of spitballing here, but it, that, that would have been like something that would have just broken over into the, you know, broken that threshold for me. Anyway, I'm sorry. You're going to say, it. Oh no, no, I was just going to say like, especially if we could have gotten a point of view from the nag bride. Well, like if she, if she goes like, okay, I'm going to do some sort of ritual and be the, the victim here to just save this person. And then you get her transformed. Like it ends with her as, as transformed, bearing out the curse. Like, what does she say? Like, that would be a really solid way to end it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um, all right. So uh, we should probably move on to uh, the women. Well, do we want to do the women? Yeah. The, I don't have much women. to say about the women. It's a, I, except I will say that it's another Euro wizard story. And I, I don't necessarily hate that as a genre, but it's, it's every damn story now. <laughs> You're magic, Harry. <laughs> yeah. It, it, yeah. I, I got to say that. um I'm not entirely sure, like like style wise, I'm not entirely sure that the 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 writing really super won me over. Mm. Again, I I felt like this was something that was you know very competently written. Um, it had some interesting moments, uh, especially at the beginning where you realize. So so to summarize, right? This is basically. Um, it's told from the point of view of like a younger brother, his older brother. Uh, he, he's he's sort of like talking to his older brother and they live with their father. 
who has become like a weird um, sort of like prepper guy or something to that effect. Like he's living like literally off the grid. Uh, he's got like a little hand crank radio and, you know, like, like basically he doesn't want anything electronic uh, around him because he's afraid that if, if he connects to the grid uh, in some way, shape or form, the women or they will get to his sons. And uh, as the story progresses, we realize that, um, uh, you know, unsurprisingly, uh, he was correct. <laughs> like there is, there, there are these, I think the, the phrase is that um, not all women are witches, but all witches are women uh, sort of mentality here. And uh, that, that sort of uh, uh, factors into the, the, the narrative uh, later on, like the older brother uh, becomes sort of like entangled or enamored of uh, a, a newcomer to town. I mean, he has like a, a another girlfriend that uh, he gets shot down by his dad for, you know, like, what do you want to do? Go to prom? <laughs> uh, how dare you? Yeah. I, and and so um, later on, like, an, I got the feeling that she was a little older, right? Uh, is it Mina? Uh shows up and then she's, she's asking to, you know, for them to renovate her, her new place, which is out in the, somewhere in the boonies in a town that's already in the boonies. I, I, I think this was supposed to be like somewhere in rural Washington state. It's or something rural like that, Virginia. Cause oh, they actually, you're right. You're right. Yeah. At one point they drive up you're to right. Northern Virginia to like Fairfax to get a, an MRI or something. That's right. That's right. I Jesus Christ. Yeah, because it's called Delphi, and I had to actually like like Google to find out like where would Delphi be. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, you're right. It is um, it is Virginia. Uh, I mean, granted, Virginia is huge, uh, but um, but then she's uh, living in the mill, and the older brother is helping her sort of like renovate. The younger brother's there for a little bit, and then. Uh, they sort of like the older brother and the 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 woman Mina uh sort of like develop like a relationship of some sort and then later on they just they just skip town um and she moves back to New Mexico after uh their dad uh passes away and uh and so, uh, you know, like the younger brother finally receives news that her, his, his older brother has died and, uh, you know, like the Mina is going to come back with the remains, the cremains, uh, to be honest. And, uh, he, he's sort of like, uh, at a, at a tipping point because he's, he doesn't want, really, he doesn't want her around because he associates her with, uh, her brother's death. But then, you know, like he finds out that his dad uh, might have been on to something about like something about magic or witches or something to that effect. But he's not entirely sure. And like you said, Sean, at the end, it's basically like, uh, you know, oh, well, you know, you should go and find out whether you're you're a wizard or not. I, you know? Just for once, I'd like a story 
that's premised this way to end with somebody being like, bro, you don't want to find out about yourself. <laughs> you want to live a lie. Okay. Like, yeah. Just yeah. Once. Like, honestly, I, I, the more I, the more I thought about this story, the more I thought, yeah, like, like, like you said, like, why would you ever want to find out? Like, like, so, so the, the issue is that, okay. The decision here is that her, his, the, the, the main character's brother uh, decided to try to find out who he was. Right. And Mina tries to sort of draw it out of him and he died as a, it seems to be hinted or, or heavily implied that he died as a result. Right. And so on the one hand, you know, this is, this is always like this, um, the thing that's in the back of my head, whenever I go, like I rewatch any one of the X-Men movies the 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 thing is that okay sure in principle it sucks to be sort of like identified and and registered and you know like your identity is registered by some authority but at the same time my dude you know if you can like freeze me solid or light my entire town on fire i'm sorry <laughs> yeah you know, maybe, maybe we do need some sort of control here. <laughs> and this is the same type of, uh, you know, like the, the, the reasoning I'm thinking here is the same thing here, right? It's like, okay, so, so your risk is it's, it's a very symbolic, it's, it's handled very symbolically, right? Like you could literally die if you find, if you tried to find out, you know, what your true identity is. I don't know, man. I mean, I, I, I understand the metaphor and I, especially if we're looking at it from, you know, like through a queer lens, which sure, but that's not anywhere. Like it's not in this story. Uh, it's not in the text, but, but I get it. Like if this were sort of like through a queer lens, yes, I understand that. Uh, you're going to be who you're going to be regardless of, you know, regardless of the risk. Um, but here there isn't that risk, right? Or, or, or there isn't that um, that there isn't that question of identity. It's like you can choose to be try to be a male witch or not, and the or not part means that you live a long and prosperous life. Right. Yeah, I mean that's it. Part of it is just that there's clearly an obvious moral here, right? Like this is a story that is trying is being moral and didactic and wants to teach you about the importance of knowing your own identity. And I have a limited tolerance for stuff like that, you know. I, I'll be honest. Like part of part of the fun of horror is you get to be a little evil and you get to like not necessarily have good morals in your story. So part of it is just like. If you really wanted to surprise somebody, advocate they do the thing that seems bad, you know, get, put, put them in a circumstance in which the correct decision is the one that is like not the moral you want people to take away from it. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Like, well, I just I, get yeah, tired. Like, it feels very programmatic when everything is here's a here's a moral that we're here's a heartwarming moral that you're going to have, you know? Yeah, like like I, I feel like I don't necessarily to a certain degree, like I don't necessarily need for the character to make the right decision, the right moral decision. Right. Yeah. Or, or the right, uh, uh, symbolic decision. Um, in this case, like, like if he had been like, yeah, that sounds great, but you said I could die. Right. 
tell you what, uh, let me think on it. And then he just like the last scene is him like skipping town, you know, like catching a bus, <laughs> you know, to, to go live off the grid somewhere else. Uh, I, I would have, I would have understood it perfectly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm not entirely sure if, if this one fully worked for me, uh, like, like all the way through, I, I think that there were some issues. Yeah. Same. Do you want to get on to uh, Petricone? Or you, I, I got yeah, let, let's let's go for it. I'll I'll. Do you know what? You've got the floor, Sean. Go for it. I got really mad at this fucking story. <laughs> so this is a story narrated by a ghost. She is together with I think thir- twelve or thirteen other other ghosts, all women, all murdered by um, two men and a woman who are serial killers and who abduct these women serially, torture them, and kill them. Right. And most of the story is this commentary that is basically a critique of the genre. It is um, a uh, a critique that that complains about the. Let's see. So the big one would be that um, too much attention is is focused on perpetrators and not enough on victims. There's also a lot of like, why could you possibly be interested in a story like this? At one point. Um, at one point she actually says something like, uh, let's see, she says something to the effect that like, you know, wouldn't you, um, yes, would you like us to be more interesting, more violent, more powerful, secretly able to murder our captors with a pinky? Would you like to be like them? Would you like to bite our breasts, grab the inside of our thighs, hold us down until bruises rise from our skin like islands from the sea, fill us with your trash and say that it makes us trash? You go ahead and tell us what you want. We will ignore it. We are dead. Um, so which is, as I read this, you're, you're accusing me. Like, so it's, it's a story that yells at you for reading it. <laughs> and it, it accuses the reader of a lot of pretty negative things right um and then it ties up with uh one of the potential victims actually managing to get free kill one of their captors and get out um Mm -hmm. had the had the critique part been smaller i would have been more happy with the story but it is it is a story who i think the express intent is to critique something and it seems to vacillate between wanting to critique our us as an audience of true crime and us as an audience of horror. And it seems to confuse those two things. Yeah. Yeah. I think that you're, you're, you're completely right on that in the sense that I, I, I also think that there's uh one of the, like, like if there is, uh, <laughs> if, the, if there's room for subtext here, it, it, it sort of has a little bit of, a glancing blow towards like final girl. Like it, it wants to have a critique of final girl theory or whatever, but it, it, I think it misunderstands uh, what a final girl is. It's, it's using the literal interpretation of those two words together. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as, as sort of like a, a, a subtext that is because there, there, there is something um, like that thread where it's 
like like you said, it's it's criticizing like, oh, you just wanted to hear about the perpetrators. You only want to hear about the the people who survive and so on and so forth. And so obviously it's it's trying to also um sort of engage with that final girl idea. Uh but but if I understand correctly, and, and I haven't read uh uh the 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 text, what is it at uh, men, women, and, or something, something in chainsaws. Men, men, women, and chainsaws. I think is the the text. Um, basically, the, the the like the final girl isn't supposed to be like a triumphant thing. <laughs> it's just it's. I think sadly, as time has gone on, um, it's gotten like the the original idea has gotten sort of much like uh, Carly St. George's uh, story uh, has been elided and sanded down to mean like almost a meme of itself. Uh, and, and that's not really what, what the final girl is all about. Um, I, I think you're right in, in the sense that um, I, I wanted to really, um, sort of engage with the story, and and like you said, it sort of it sort of scolds you for reading it. Um, and yet the author and, and, is blameless, right? Like, if I'm a character in a story, in my opinion, the person who's most responsible for my plight as a fictional character is the author. But here, the author is blameless, but the audience is really not blameless, right? Well, see, uh, uh, Sean, uh, the thing is that the author is only writing what you want to read. <laughs> oh God. Uh, but, but I mean, yeah, I, I think that there, there is, uh, I, I think that there's a discussion to be made about like how, um, you know, sort of like in this idea of fiction, how, uh, I, as a reader collaborate uh, or am a co-author sometimes with the 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 author of the of the story, right? Um, but but in this case, I'm not invited into that story, and that's not me as a man. It's just simply like because obviously the 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 story uh, it makes a, a lot of um, I, I think it has a lot of s a space dedicated to it without necessarily being super ham-handed about it but it is very obvious that the villains here are two dudes and everyone who is a victim or hero at the end is a woman which is fine i don't have any issues with that but I but honestly a, i will be honest i had a little issue because so one the woman who is responsible who is one of the three gang members um Sandy is Sandy. killed by one of the one of the men, right? Um, and then there's a discussion of Sandy. So Sandy is a ghost with these other ghosts. Um, and there's a there's a there's some discussion of how they interact with Sandy, and it says a lot of us want to give Sasha a reality check. Sasha is giving is giving uh, Sandy the benefit of the doubt. Basically, a lot of us want to give Sasha a reality check, but Rachel disapproves. And generally, we listen to her. Sasha believes in helping others. She says she bet her life on it. We will still grumble about it, don't like it, consider that it's Sandy who benefits from us holding back, but who knows, maybe with therapy, Sandy wouldn't have been such a piece of work. And it's like, yes, but like with therapy, maybe these guys wouldn't have been so evil either, right? Like, what's the difference between Sandy and any of the rest of them? I, I don't know. I, I felt like that was special pleading. I I can see that. I, I think that the there's there's a little bit of um fancy footwork happening here where they're they're obviously uh 
trying to get Sandy because she's a woman that she wasn't, you know, sort of like, uh, she wasn't like, yes, she helped lure all of these, you know, like these 14 other women, uh, into the car with these two dudes or whatever, who were, you know, like basically going to, uh, you know, rape and murder, uh, all of them. Um, but at the same time, like somehow she is only somewhat culpable, uh, enough, you know, like there, there's enough culpability there that maybe some therapy would help, but the guys are beyond the pale. Yeah, I, I can see that. I could accept that. I do feel like that's maybe someplace where you could have on a second draft, maybe revised that a little. Cause the thing that makes her less culpable, if she's less culpable is that her, her evil is a little less, right? Her, she has a character flaw, but these other people have definitely embraced it. And if you could be a little more explicit about that, I don't know. Maybe I'm just primed because I am on Twitter still. And, and every now and every like week, there's another <laughs> argument about therapy. So anytime I see the word, my like my red flag goes up. But it, it felt <laughs> like you could do a better job of stating the moral case here for why Sandy is not quite as bad. Let's let's you know what? Let's use another character from from this same episode to uh, determine whether Sandy is uh, you know culpable or not at all. Would Victoria Waite kill Sandy? In a heartbeat. Instantly. <laughs> she would not care. Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, Victoria would have also killed all the other girls as well, as well as the dudes. Right. <laughs> yes. It would be, it would just be, a, I mean, it would be even more of a murder house. It would just be blood everywhere. Yes. Um, but, but, but I, I, I do think that that's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting, uh, way to look at it because Victoria would be like, yeah, Sandy, you gotta go. Bye. Uh, I pick, I thought this would be a good one to do for the end, not just cause I wanted to complain about it, but like it, it, it is a story that like asks us, what do you get out of reading horror? And I think that it's, it's a little confused in the story because the story itself is about crime and some of the criticisms it make make a lot more sense as critiques of true crime. So, mm -hmm. for instance, there is a problem where there, there, a lot of people say that true crime focuses too much on the perpetrators and not enough on the victims. And I think that's fair. It's not like a new criticism, but it's that's valid, right? Like the victims are real people who've had horrible things happen mm -hmm. and they're just not not there for your entertainment for fiction. That's not true. They do exist just for your entertainment. Right. Yes. I mean, I, I would also say that, um, that that's not something that's, that's, you know, exclusive to true crime, uh, podcasts or, or what have you. Right. Because that, that was all, that was a, that's an old criticism from like, even like network news and shit like that. So it's, it's not like, it's not like it's anything new and it doesn't, I, I feel like it's, it's still a problem, but it's also not a fresh problem. I, I don't know if that means like, I'm not trying to make a value judgment here because sometimes, you know, like history is more circular or cyclical than, than we want to give it credit for. You know, there is, you know, like there is no linear path here. So maybe we've just, we're just sort of repeating the same things except in a new medium but but I don't know I, I I don't know if this is the 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 thing that I needed to to hear in in my horror story yeah as a true crime consumer I'll say that uh, there's a bajillion different kinds of 
reporting on, you know, crime and human violence and whatever. But like the stuff I listen to mostly does take victims or entirely takes victims seriously and reports on them. And at least a few of the things that I listen to have gotten better at it over time. So they've responded to criticism by being like, okay, that's correct. Let me fix my, you know, fix our focus a little bit. So we're not, um, you know, perpetrator centric or whatever. So I, I like it is a problem, but it is also a problem that gets addressed. It just doesn't feel the urgency of this doesn't feel correct. It seems like this author has made up someone to get really mad at, you know, uh, well, th- that's what fictional characters are for. That's right? true. Well, well, no, apparently like if, if you, well, that was the other thing I wanted to get to actually is like setting aside the true crime related stuff. There is also a critique in here about fiction and that's, what I thought would be a good way to kind of tie everything together. Cause that's, that is like, why do you enjoy horror fiction? You see all these horrible things happen. Maybe it's because as that little excerpt I read earlier, maybe it's because you like, you know, you like to see people suffer. You like to, you, you wish you could hurt people yourselves. Right. Um, which again was, I thought was pretty insulting because I don't like to be accused of stuff like that. Um, but also like, I thought it was just, a misunderstanding of what's good about horror. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's sort of three, three big sources that I derive pleasure from horror. One is that you experience negative emotions just like anybody else, right? Like you see something bad happen and you feel horror or shock or terror or outrage or um, disgust. Disgust is a real common one. And then you go, Oh wait, this is fiction. And somehow that realization, the realization that this is not a real scenario, plus the, the negative feeling turns into a kind of satisfaction that you've overcome that feeling. I don't exactly understand this, but it's really a two-step process. You're not really enjoying the negative emotions so much as the fact that you have them under these kind of controlled circumstances makes you feel better. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think that that, like, I do agree that, um, one of the things that I I have to say that that uh, I'm not entirely sure that I've analyzed my own feelings on this, but what I, what I've heard uh, is in fact yeah like like yeah you're you're sort of experiencing a like a bad thing but under controlled circumstances which is within the the bounds of a fictional. A scenario, you know, be it a short story, a novelette, or not a full novel, what have you. But once you, you know, even even when you close the book on on the the, the latest chapter you read, you know, you can set that down and then sort of let those, like that, like you said, those negative emotions can sort of just sort of like drift away. Yeah, it's like because. You go ahead. Like we were talking about the Nags Bride, right? Like it would have that story would have been better had the ending been more of a downer or more of a an emotional, like a strong emotion of some kind, rather than a mm-hmm. gentle emotion, like uh, you know, like uh, sympathy or whatever. Like had it been like uh, despair or horror or resignation, something doomy, like it would have felt so great. And I don't really understand it, but what I do understand is that it's not. You know, again, to go back to the Nags Bride, it's not that I want the character to suffer. I hate seeing her suffer. And that feeling of hating it ends up making me feel very good because she's not real and nothing bad actually happened, you know? Mm-hmm. Right, right. And it, it misses that she actually has a thing in here. 
she so again like so much of the story is just talking to the reader and she'll say like you know what are you expecting are we boring you would you like us to develop you know would you prefer it if we had psychic powers and could get revenge and yes i would that would be a more interesting story but it would also like <laughs> like it would it would i would not be yelled at for you know a novelette but like it would be it would be one of those strong emotions it would be a turn um which i think is the other one of the other pleasures right is like the story turns and all of a sudden you get to see the bad guy punished right so there is some enjoyment of suffering in horror i think at least for me but that suffering is not innocent people it's the bad guy um mm-hmm. and you can critique that as being like it's still sadistic pleasure, right? You're still enjoying somebody else's suffering in that case. But this story can't critique that because this story ends with one of the killers getting maced in the face twice and having his head stepped in while there is a literal chorus of people cheering it on, right? Yeah, yeah. Like like he gets his, his head caved in with a shovel. And it's super satisfying. Mm-hmm. Everything else, my criticisms of the story aside, I was very happy when that guy bit the dice. I, I, I did uh, just as a small nitpick. I, I don't know if it was a, a an editing thing or maybe I'm not up up with it. But uh, <laughs> they inter like uh, the uh, Petroconi interchanges mace with pepper spray a couple times, and I was like, "Wait, what? <laughs> Wait, isn't it mace? Mace is a different thing than pepper spray." <laughs> Writers, but anyway, you got to learn violence. Okay, you got to learn the tools of violence. You can't just make it up. It'll look like an amateur out there. We need to at least fictionalize the tools of the oppressor. That's right. <laughs> um, and then I guess there's a final pleasure in horror for me. And it's not sadistic or masochistic. It's just that you spend at least you spend your whole life in a universe that is uncaring, uh, a universe that kind of destroys everything eventually like everything is transient nothing persists and the way in which you cope with that is you make meaning right you you love people you do things that matter you put your energy into projects you enjoy the transient things as they are like there's this whole effort to make things valuable and meaningful and it works and it's wonderful but it's effort and so every now and again it's nice to just stop making that effort and watch the universe just fuck somebody horribly. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's and the, gnaw, gnaw their legs off. Yeah. Tear their face off. And <sighs> the more spectacular that is, the more satisfying it is to just for a moment, not have to put up this, like not have to make the world, you know what I mean? Not have to make your meaning and just let things be meaningless for a moment. Um, Oh my goodness. Sean, are, are, are are you making an argument for nihilism? I'm making because... an argument for jokerification. <laughs> um, at least for just just for a minute. Don't 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 give your life over to it. But just take a moment when you're reading a novel and just go, "Wow, that was incredibly nasty." Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. I I I uh, I think that um, that yeah. You I think you've you've sort of hit it hit it on the head uh sean i mean i i was thinking about uh like the stephen king but that's more or less like the stephen king three rules for for writing horror and but that's more about like you know like from my from a writer's uh point of view or what have you i was gonna say my point of view um <laughs> but, could, could you uh, but, could you, you know, tell like, us the rules real quick 
what was it? It's uh, basically he says that uh, it, when you're writing for for horror uh, publications, uh, you you know your first rule try to go for the horror, um, and and I I forget. Like specifically the 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 specific definitions of horror versus terror. Um, so he says, go for horror first. Second, go for terror if you can't make horror. And then third, if you can't do any of the other two, go for the gross out. Uh, and and uh, as I was like listening to you talk about like the disgust, I was like, yeah, that 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 could be the gross out. Although I do also think that even even with the Stephen King three steps have been sort of like uh, sort of like sanded down because I have read some stories where it's just it's just plain gross out throughout the story. And it's like, where's the horror? Where's where's you know where's the the stuff where I'm I'm feeling a little a little like I'm doomed to you know. I don't know, man, make me confront my own mortality or like the vastness and uncaring vastness of the universe or whatever, you know, something, do something, but just don't like, oh, he had pus. He's like, okay, that, that's, that doesn't do anything for me. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen pus in reality and it sucks. And I don't, you know, if that's all you're Mm going to show me, I can just skip this and I've been there. (laughs) It's sort of gross, but okay. Yeah. It's nasty, but like, I'm, you know. It's not I, when I was seventeen. I'm not. I'm not scared of pus. <laughs> when I was seventeen, I would have been like, "Oh yeah, pus and blood and gore." And now I'm just like, <laughs> I've seen that. I've seen those movies, and this isn't as good as that movie. And I don't. Mm. I don't really want to see that again. <laughs> I know Lucio Fulci. Lucio Fulci was a friend of mine. You, sir, are no Lucio Fulci. <laughs> yes. All right. So, um, I mean, uh, do we have any? Uh, do, do we want to have any last thoughts here? Uh, any last uh, stuff that we need to get out of our system? You know, catharsis, what have you? Uh, definitely read read the the. I mean, you guys did, but to the listener, definitely read that that uh, Saint Carlisle the the onward Victoria story because that one yeah. really solid. It yeah, was. that one's really great. Really I, I really enjoyed that one. And it's, it's weirdly fun. You know, that's the mm, thing. Yes. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it doesn't shy. That's the thing. I think it feels, I, it, the, the thing that, that really stands out to me is it feels very horror. It feels very, uh, almost splatter punky and, and very bleak. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it's like lots of fun because yeah. again, you know, like it does have like little references, but also just like the, like, like reveling to a certain degree, reveling in the viewpoint of the monster and mm-hmm. understanding why they're a monster. Um, like l- apart from just being eternally 16, like if, your own parents basically <laughs> killed you accidentally because they wanted to save you from mm. temptation. Mm. Uh, yeah. Like I, I feel like that's going to produce like a very extreme personality. Yeah. <laughs> that's going to want to enact justice in what way, whatever way uh, they feel is correct. So it, it's a lot of fun. Go read it. Uh, I would also say that, yeah, like, um, even though, uh, I, I didn't feel like the ending super, like wasn't as, um, effective for me, go read the Nags Bride. It's super atmospheric. I feel like it's very, it's a very good example of, you know, like the type of stuff that we've, 
we have been talking about and enjoyed. Um, uh, yeah, I, those are the two that I would pick as well. And sadly, I don't think either one of them won. <laughs> so uh, in any case, um, if that's it, gentlemen, thank you both for being here. Uh, Sean, thanks for, for, uh, asking us to read these stories. I, I had an excuse to actually sit down and, you know, set everything aside a little bit and read some good horror stories. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was, it was a blast. I'd love to come back and talk more horror, like anytime. Absolutely. Excellent. We will, we will then, uh, yes. contact you soon. That's binding, Sir. my friend. You have entered into a contract. Yeah, uh, a contract out. that is not a contract. All right. Well, in any case, uh, uh, listeners, thanks for listening in. Of course, uh, and if um, you know if the horror that you uh, wish is is to escape your Patreon uh, subscription, <laughs> too late, suckers. Mm. We'll catch you next time here on Podside.